0: For the rest of us, we are in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We have just been asked to look to Jesus and consider Him who endured the cross. We're going to consider Him once more as we look at loving discipline. And we're going to start in verse 3 of chapter 12. Hear now God's word for His people. The author says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And then verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. Um, About 30 years ago, um, scientists commissioned this miniature version of our planet called a biosphere. It took up like three acres. Uh, And it was built outside of Tucson, Arizona. It's now used by the University of Arizona. So they built this enclosed dome so that the scientists could study how our planet's living systems work. How do trees grow? What do animals do? Etc. The most interesting takeaway came as they studied trees. So in this controlled environment where there was the perfect amount of sunlight, the perfect amount of water and nutrients, and absolutely no pollution to stunt the growth, These trees grew faster than they would have in the real world. Now, I'm going to quote from you the study so that you don't think I like change the words to fit my sermon. So here's here's their words, not mine. They also found that these trees wouldn't completely mature. Before they could completely mature, they used to collapse. Why is that? Why in a situation with perfect sunlight, perfect water, no pollution, would these trees grow, but then fall over and collapse? Because in this sealed dome, there was no wind. There was no wind. I found this super interesting. So, the scientists discovered that the stress... That the wind causes on these trees is part of what causes these trees roots to get down deeper sink in and it causes uh, what's called reactive growth the bark grows in a different way like if you if you look at a microscope at the bark that grows when a tree faces wind it's actually it has a different chemical compound it has a different molecular structure it's super interesting now The reason I bring this up, if you haven't figured it out already, is many of us would love to live in sort of a Christian biosphere. We would love to live in a nice protected dome where nothing bad or unpleasant happens to us, or at at least for me, for those who we love. I'm more concerned that my children don't face any stress or turmoil. I I want to make sure my wife and my loved ones don't have anything bad happen to them. I want to protect them from all of it. But the reality is that God uses that wind to discipline us. He uses suffering and hardship to shape us, to train us into what we are supposed to be, into what we will eventually become. So this morning, we're going to look at the loving discipline of God. And we're going to see that rather than shying away from discipline, we should be loving discipline because of these three things. Discipline demonstrates discipline who you are. Discipline is determined by God, and discipline develops fruit in God's people. So let's look first at how it determines who you are. If you look at verse uh, 5 and 6, ask, for, ask yourself for a moment, who are you? Right, if, if someone were to ask you, point blank, no preparation, hey, who are you? Many of us would start with our name, right? Did you give your name in that imaginary scenario? Did you give your title? I am Dr. Esquire. Maybe it's your job, right? I'm a teacher. I'm a mother. Verses 5 and 6 give Christians the prepared answer that God has given to us. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you for who you are as sons and that word sons is, it, it's, not, um, it's not new agey of me to say sons and daughters. Like that, that word, if you know Spanish, you know that the masculine word often includes the, the feminine as well. That, that word does that. It addresses you as sons and daughters, children. And so the Lord says in, in Proverbs, my son, this is now addressing boys, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastises every son and daughter whom he receives. If you are a Christian, then you are a son and daughter of God himself. That's who you are. And if you are a child of God, by definition, you will be disciplined. Look at verse 6 again. He says, The Lord chastises every son, every single one, not his favorite, not his least favorite, all of them, every single one. In fact, the next verses tell us that if you are not disciplined, you're not a child, you're illegitimate. Because it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? obviously we're assuming good fathers and a good father-son relationship. Because if you are left without discipline and you have a good father, if you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. You're not really sons. Discipline demonstrates who you are. You are a child of God who can rightly call God your father. So as children, what does this discipline look like? Uh, the word here is the exact same word used in 2 Timothy 3.16. Um, you know the passage even if you don't know the reference. All scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable, it is good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for, here's the word, training. I, I, in English, you look at the word discipline and training and you're like, know, where's the connection? It's, it's the same word. So all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for discipline in righteousness. Discipline is training. The same training a coach gives to his players. It involves everything from gentle instruction to hard correction. Like the wind, it can be a gentle breeze or a harsh storm. But one thing is for sure. Tune back in if you've gone asleep. In this context, discipline is not punishment. That's literally my entire first point, so please get that, if nothing else. Discipline in this context is not punishment. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, why do we often think that the bad things that happen in our lives are punishments from God? Why Why do we assume that when hard, difficult, difficult, bad things happen in our lives, why do we assume that our God is punishing us? I think besides our guilt, besides our shame, besides a bunch of other things, I think it's because often punishment and discipline can look very much alike. Um, I think of, of fighters. Uh, when when uh, I grew up on the streets of Miami, so I I, uh, I was... I was guided, I was told to do some fighting training. So I I did things like jujitsu and judo. And in in that gym, you have what's called sparring, right? Fighters fighting against fellow fighters, not opponents, not enemies. When fighters are practicing with fellow fighters, with their teammates, they punch, they kick, they grapple. Why? to train themselves and to train their teammates. We're we're training each other. But what happens when you fight in a competition and you face an opponent? You still punch. You still kick. You still grapple. But the goal is different. The goal is not to train. The goal is to defeat, to conquer, to vanquish. The actions and the profits the old testament are very similar to this it's a great example of this god declared judgments of sin on all of israel the prophets came to all of israel and said because of your sin judgment is coming to the unrepentant sinner to the wicked to the enemy of god god was acting out of justice and he declared punishments to defeat his enemies To the faithful and repentant, to the remnant, he acted out of loving discipline that was meant to train them. Same action. Nations still came and conquered them. The people were still exiled. The temple was still destroyed. Same action. But depending on who you are, it was either punishment or discipline. And so it had the goal of either justice or training. To say that God is punishing his children, to say that you have trusted your life to Jesus, but God is still punishing you, is to say that his children are God's enemies. It is to say that justice against their sins has not yet been met. So I will say this twice so that there is no mistake. If you are a child of God, you can be confident that God is not punishing you. I told you I would say it twice. If you are a child of God, you can be supremely confident that you are not being punished by God. And the reason you can be so confident, the reason I say that without any qualification, is not because of wishful thinking or New Age theology. It's because of what is at the core of what we believe, Jesus dying on the cross and what that accomplished. So look at, A passage like Colossians chapter 2. There Paul tells the church, You, people of God, you were dead in your trespasses. But God made you alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How did he do this? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. People of God, child of God, there is no longer any record of debt hanging over us because it hung on the cross and was fully paid. So legally speaking, for those who are in Christ, there is nothing for God to punish. Because punishment is just wrath unleashed against sin. Punishment is just wrath unleashed against sin, and it is reserved for the wicked who do not repent. That's why the cross is so mind blowing. But we sometimes get used to it. Because we know, we know that we deserve that punishment. We know that it should have been us on the cross. We know that that would be justice. But God instead delivered his just punishment for sin he unleashed his just wrath on the one human being who didn't deserve it his son jesus his son his only son and it's because jesus took on that punishment that we can be confident that we are not being punished what does that do for you christian let's go to isaiah chapter 53 we sang some of these words let's look at them in context Speaking of the servant of God that would one day come and now has come, Isaiah says, surely he has borne our griefs. Surely he has carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him as we sang stricken, smitten, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And here's the part. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And so people of God, let us believe. Let us truly believe Isaiah's words that Jesus has brought us peace. You are not being punished. You you do not need to worry about that if you are in Christ. Let us believe that with Jesus' wounds, we really are healed. And we don't need to heal ourselves by going through more and more punishment, by punishing ourselves. And so rather than having your difficulties bring you sorrow, as you wonder, what did I do to deserve this? Why is God punishing me? Instead, let that discipline see it for what it is. It's discipline, not punishment. And let that punishment, let that discipline demonstrate your status as a son and daughter of the King. Because that's who you are. Amen. And so one of the things that helps us to endure our suffering, our discipline, is knowing that it is not punishment. It is part of the, of the loving discipline. It's part of the training program of our Father. And it shows us that we are sons and daughters. The next thing that it helps us is knowing that discipline is determined by God. We, we have this curious statement in verse 4, where we read, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Compare that with what we read just two weeks ago. People of God were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. So what's the author doing here? Is he, is he telling the Hebrews to suck it up? They haven't, people, other people have it worse. You haven't suffered as much as this guy? No. He's reminding them of God's protection. You have not yet resisted to the point of death as others have, and even as Jesus did. You still have more training to undergo. And that's because God determined that. If you look at this passage, there's no confusing it. Everything that comes into our lives comes from God. I'm going to read you a short portion of verse 5, verse 6, and verse 10. Look at these words. He says, Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. It comes from Him. Verse 6. The Lord disciplines the one He loves. Verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us, but He disciplines us. It comes from the Lord. Everything, all of our discipline is determined by God. There's no question where it comes from. And so God determined your marriage situation. Whether you are single, divorced, widowed, struggling... Or happily married. God determined that. God determined your job with all its ups and downs. All your co-workers. All your employers. Your payment. Your job description. God determined your school. Your difficult teachers. Your great teachers. Your bullies and your friends. The kids in the group project that did nothing. And the ones that did everything. God determined all of it. Every single bit of it. And so knowing that all the sadness in your life has been determined by God might make you angry or confused, sad, more likely a mixture of all those. And that's okay for a season. That's why, that's one of the reasons we have examples of God's people in Scripture crying out to Him, in Job, in the Psalms, and even Jesus in the Gospels. But the reason they cried out to God is precisely because everything is determined by God. And that changes everything. I remember, I remember watching an episode of a show where the intro made absolutely no sense. And I'm sure this has happened in whatever show you happen to be watching. The episode started out with the good guys, who you've been following around for several seasons now robbing a bank and taking hostages you're like well wait a second you're you're the good guys what are you doing i thought i was watching the wrong show for a second but because i had been watching the show for a few seasons now that shock didn't last i knew there had to be something going on right i had gotten to know the characters i knew what they were all about i knew they would never rob a bank certainly not take hostages And sure enough, my patience was rewarded. A few moments later, it was revealed that that was just a training exercise. And so my heart rate went down a a few beats. Why was I able to endure that intro? Why didn't I just turn it off and give up? Why didn't I freak out and get disappointed in those characters for apparently turning to the dark side? Because I knew them. I knew they would never do that. Christian, you know your God. He has revealed Himself. You know, as you were assured earlier, that He is merciful and gracious. You know that He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You know that just like our good earthly fathers show compassion to their children, so our good heavenly Father shows compassion to His children. You know that He has the power to bring your hardships into your lives. And that means he has the power to take them out of our lives. If he can bring it in, he can take it out. So you can also know that when he doesn't, when he allows you to continue to endure whatever hardship you're going through, you can sing, God's people can sing, as we will in a moment. His hands can turn my griefs away. So patiently I wait his day whatever my God ordains is right. If, if his hands have the power to turn my griefs away, if he has the power to heal my marriage, take away the cancer, do whatever it is that is bringing me suffering and turmoil, if I know he has the power to do that and I know that he is working all things for my good, then I have the ability, not the motivation, not the inspiration, but the ability to patiently... Wait his day. And in that day. In that glorious day. That is coming soon. When the training of his disciples is complete. We will sing as the psalmist sang in Psalm 66. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living. And has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into the net. You have laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. People of God, whatever God has determined for your life, for God's children, all of it, All of it is loving discipline. All of it is a custom training regiment specifically designed for you. Every tragedy, every celebration, every person that has ever entered your life has all been determined by God to carry out His grand plan of salvation and to prepare you for what's coming next. That enables us, again, not inspire, not motivate, enables us to say, as Hebrews, as the author of Hebrews says in verse 9, to be subject to the Father of spirits and live. Because all of this, all the suffering, all the pain, all the yuck, all the exhaustion, anxiety, all the stress, all of it, is preparing God's people for his kingdom. Those aren't my words. Those are Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're familiar with this idea that first there's affliction and then there's glory. But look how Paul connects them in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, This light momentary affliction is preparing for us, it is preparing for us. That means it's necessary. It is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so people of God, we endure. We endure patiently. Because what God has determined for us to go through does not compare with what he has prepared for us. And just like the wind prepares the trees, our discipline prepares us for what we are about to become. Mature and complete. So stand firm. Hold on, keep fighting, because in Christ, you are becoming more and more like him. So one thing that helps us to endure is knowing that the hardships of our lives are not punishments. They are the loving discipline of a loving father. And it confirms for us, it determines for us that we are children of God. Another thing that helps us to endure is knowing that every form of discipline is determined by God, our Father, our good Father. And he is using them to prepare us for an eternal weight of glory, to prepare us for maturity, to prepare us for what cannot compare to anything that we endure, including our hardships. But lastly, we don't just sit and wait for discipline to end. We don't just hold on and wait out the hardships in our Christian shelter. We work, we strain, we train because discipline develops fruit in God's people. Look at what the Holy Spirit tells us in verses 10 and 11. For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed good to them, best to them. But He disciplines us For our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. People of God, discipline is not the goal. The goal of your your life is not to be disciplined. Disciplined. Discipline is the means by which we reach the goal. And the goal is much more than simply making it to heaven as glorious as that goal is. The goal is Christ and becoming more like him. Look at verses 10 and 11 again. Can you pull that back up? He disciplines us for our good. What is our good? That we may share his holiness... That's the good. Look at verse 11. Yes, discipline seems painful, so why is it worth enduring? Why shouldn't I just cave in and give up? Because later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So if we know that discipline has the goal of making us more like Jesus, how does that change the way we endure it? I think it changes it completely. Because if the hard things in our lives are just inconveniences that we have to wait out and get through, then it's like waiting in a doctor's office. Our whole lives are like a doctor's waiting room. There's no benefit to waiting. Has anyone ever benefited from waiting in the doctor's office? No. Right? We grab a book, we watch some outdated telenovela on the TV or whatever you know price is right, and we just wait until they call our name. There's no benefit. There's nothing happening in our lives. We're just waiting out until we can get to heaven. But that's not how Scripture describes our lives. Our discipline actually does something right now. It develops fruit in us. So our lives are not like a doctor's waiting room. Our lives are like a gym where we train our muscles. Whether you're running for an event, straining your muscles in the gym to get swole, Or doing work at physical therapy. Whatever it is, you endure pain because you trust that later it yields fruit. Whether that's endurance, bigger muscles, or stronger joints. You endure the pain for what it later yields. That's what our life is like. That's why James is not crazy when he says in chapter 1, Count it all joy, my brothers. That sounds a little bit crazy, right? Unless you have the hope of the gospel. Unless your pain actually does something and brings something about, then to count it all joy seems ludicrous. But because discipline develops fruit, you can say, as James does, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Because you know something. You know that the testing of your faith, you know that the discipline of the Lord produces something. It produces the fruit of steadfastness. And when steadfastness reaches maturity, when you let steadfastness have its full effect, something glorious happens. You reach maturity. You become perfect and complete like a ripe fruit. And you are lacking in nothing. Earlier we read from 2 Timothy chapter 3 where we saw that all scripture is profitable for training for discipline and righteousness. Here's the very next verse. That training in righteousness has a goal, that the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Your discipline which shows you that you are children of God. Your discipline which is determined by your loving father is for a purpose. It is for the purpose of developing fruit, the fruit of holiness and righteousness that leads to maturity and completion in Christ. And before you leave here and promise to be better and do better, let me remind you of what this passage is all about. You are already children of God in Christ. You're not going to earn it. You know that, Because you're being disciplined with hard things. That's how you know you're a child of God. You are already loved by your father, Christians. You know that because he sends things into your life that are meant to train you to be more like Jesus. That's how you know. So the message is not produce apples to become an apple tree. The message is because you're an apple tree, get to work, produce apples. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, at one time you were darkness, but now you are fundamentally something different. You are light in the world. So what does he say you should do? Walk as children of light. If you're light, walk as children of light. If you're an apple tree, make some apples. Right? When life gives you lemons. If that's what you are, then you are enabled to do that. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Christian, you are light. That's what you are. You are children of God. You are already saved from the darkness, delivered from the domain of darkness, and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved Son. It's done. And so to that end, you are being trained by the loving discipline of your loving Father. And knowing all of that enables you to endure. It enables you to submit, to not grow weary. But lest you think it's up to you to endure, I want to leave you with one final word of encouragement from Philippians chapter 1. He who began a good work in you, which hint, it wasn't you. He who began a good work in you, he will bring it about to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's why we can confidently sing as we're about to. He holds me that I shall not fall. And so to him, I leave it all. Whatever my God ordains is right. God loves us enough to discipline us, people of God. He also knows us enough not to leave it to us to endure. So he loves us yet again by assuring us that he did not just start our salvation but now it's up to you to finish it. No, He started your salvation by Jesus living and dying on the cross. He continues our salvation by disciplining us, disciplining every one of His children. And you can be sure that He will complete your salvation when Jesus comes again. We have a glorious hope. Amen? Pray with me. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name because you love us enough to discipline us. You love us enough to bring hard things into our lives when we would never wish those things upon ourselves. And so, Lord, when those hard things come, help us to endure. Help us to not grow weary. Help us to see it for what it is. It is not punishment. It is not the actions of a a malicious God. It is the loving hand of a sovereign God who knows things that we do not and works things for our good. Thank you for Jesus who enables that to be true, who makes us sons and daughters. Thank you for Jesus who endured the wrath that we should have endured so that we can be sure that we are not being punished. And thank you for Jesus who gives us everything we need to endure Discipline and get to the work that you have called us to do. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.